Hi, thanks for joining us here at Restoration Church. I'm Pastor Rachel, and I am tying together a month-long series we've had called Come Holy Spirit. We went and we looked at the Holy Spirit and the different ways that the Holy Spirit shows up for the people of God. And we went to the Old Testament. We looked at the story of Exodus where we had the pillar of fire and the clouds And we also think about how the prophets talked about the Spirit coming upon them. And then we, last week, looked at the Holy Spirit in the Gospels. And specifically, the way the Holy Spirit was intertwined in the life and the ministry of Jesus. In that strange sort of combination of fully God and fully human that Jesus still was equipped by the Holy Spirit as part of that trinity. And so as we kind of look back and review the Spirit as expressed in this whole of Scripture, we want to think about the Spirit as what they say, eschatological fulfillment. That means the end of things, the end things, you know. And so there's this expressed presence of God's power. We understand that the Spirit offers us some future promise, this completion of us, up in heaven. And yet we have a sense of arriving here at earth, some taste of it as well, that we have God within us, this Holy Spirit within us, which beckons us to heaven, but also our feet are here on earth. And so we look for and, and we feel the presence of the Spirit right now. We also understand the Spirit as God's personal presence. It's the fulfillment of the promise that God himself would once again be present with his people. And so we have the Old Testament where there was a a bit of a distance because of the priestly model. And then we had Jesus come to earth. And Jesus, when he left, said, I'll leave you something even more. And what that more really is, is that more intimate, that we would be directly connected to God now. We could boldly approach the throne of grace And there was nothing in between us and God now. And then we also have this idea of the spirit and salvation, that the salvation in Christ not only begins by the spirit and the inner work that the spirit does that turns our hearts toward this need for salvation, but this this ongoing work of the spirit in every facet of the Christian life, that it's not by might, it's not by power, but by My spirit, saith the Lord, that we cannot do this. We cannot be conformed to the image of God. We cannot be transformed towards the image without the inner work of the Holy Spirit that leads us and guides us, prompts us, convicts us. And so now we're going to come to this idea of this indwelling of the Holy Spirit in Acts and the rest of the epistles, the spirit and the life of the people of God, this gathered Christian community as it lived in harmony of purpose and power in this tension of the already and the not yet, that the only way that we can truly live this Christian life, especially together and in the fullness of community is by the power of the spirit. So my story with the Holy Spirit goes back to, I I can't remember a time. So I must've been three or four. And one of the, the great gifts of Pentecostalism and even In that early days, my parents were first-generation Jesus hippies all the way. 
And so we went from church and often house churches to small churches in this movement. And there was just this experience of the spirit in new, fresh ways. And there was, don't get me wrong, there was a lot of bad theology that happened in my childhood life. And I have definitely had to unlearn a lot of things. But here is the incredible gift is that I, from a very young age, from as, as long as I can remember, believed that the Holy Spirit was within me, that I had power because of that, that, that God heard my cries. He, he comforted me that I had authority over evil. You know, at three and four, we were taught in the church and we would exercise this, that we would, we would, uh, Get thee behind me, Satan, we'd say. And of course, it was King James because that was the way it was. But, you know, we had these this idea as little children that we were warriors and that we were powerful because we were on the side of God. We were on the side of good. And and I have never not felt the presence of God because of that formative understanding of the Pentecostalism, of this indwelling of the Holy Spirit, that I was guided and that very often it was much like in the movies. You'd have an angel on one side and a devil on the other. And and it was the good and evil conundrum that I understood from a young age and that I, I had an obligation that I had to put effort towards the things of God. Now, I didn't always do it. And I certainly had those seasons in my life where that was way in the background, but I am so grateful for the gift of that understanding that has formed every part of my life. So we're going to talk a little bit about tongues because it's difficult to talk about Acts and Pentecost and not talk about that. And so going back to my childhood, this was of tantamount importance is that the evidence of the Holy Spirit was that you spoke in tongues. So before we were baptized in water, they would be baptizing us in the tongues, as they said. And so my earliest memory of that, I was probably six years old, and we were meeting with a small group in somebody's barbershop. And the the parents would go downstairs and meet down there, and the kids would stay up. And I remember being in a barber cha- barber chair, which was twirling around, and someone praying over me to speak in tongues, and I did. Now, you might think, oh, she was six years old, and that was probably just brainwashing. And I agree. You know, I came to an age, I must have been in my 30s maybe, maybe even 40, and I, and I was challenging that to myself. And I said to God, I said, okay, God, I don't know. This has been such a precious prayer language for me my whole life. Like when I don't know what to pray, I do speak in tongues. And so it's been such a precious thing. And and I would hate to think that that was all kind of this brainwashing. So I want, I want to lay it before you. And I want to say, Lord, if this was not of you, then take it away. Show me in some way. And here's the most interesting thing is that for like two weeks, the language changed. I would open my mouth to pray in tongues as I always have, but, but everybody's tongues usually has some sort of kind of cadence to it, some sort of familiarity. And this time it was different. It was like a completely different language. I didn't recognize it. And I said, well, this is so strange. And what does it mean? And then within like two weeks, one day I'm praying and it goes back to what I'd always known. And for me, I received that as a confirmation that, yeah, that was me. And even whatever circumstances, see, God, 
He rises above circumstances. Whatever we try to orchestrate or even manipulate, God is still bigger than that. And so he basically confirmed to me in that moment that it was good. And it was since my childhood. And that was special between him and I. And it was it was such a joy to feel that confidence. So that's my story. And so I've come a long way. And in lots of ways, I've evolved um, to have different understandings than what I was taught. But here's where I want us to start this. It is a gift. It is a joy. It is an absolute stunning thing to have this idea that this Holy Spirit does give us wisdom and guidance and cares about us and is always praying on our behalf in the background somehow. So we're going to go into Acts 1. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. This is Jesus talking to his disciples just as he is ascending. And verse 6, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? And he replied, it is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And then we come to Acts 2. So we've, Jesus is talking to his, his disciples that they will be baptized by the Holy Spirit. They're asking, hey, they're still a little confused about how this is all going to go. And they're like, this, this is when you're going to restore the kingdom, right? And Jesus is basically like, no, but you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And so we open up with the story of Pentecost. Now, Pentecost simply means 50. And it's seven weeks of seven days. And Moses went up to get the Ten Commandments on the 50th day. And so it traces this exodus out of Egypt to Mount Horeb. And then it coincides with the wheat harvest. So 50 days after resurrection, the early church celebrates Pentecost. And in this case, they receive the law written upon their hearts through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. You see, they had the law in the Old Testament, but then there's this new, no longer will you need that. You're going to have the law upon you because the Holy Spirit is going to testify to who God is inside of you. And so here's what it says. When the day of Pentecost had come, they, there was 120 believers in that room, were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven, there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as a fire appeared among them and a tongue rested on each of them. Now let's take a note on Matthew 3:11, when John the Baptist is baptizing He says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but the one who is coming after me, he's referring to Jesus here, is more powerful than I, and I am not worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and the fire. Back to Acts 2, verse 4, and all of them, these 120 people were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every people under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at this sound, the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language, Parthians, Medes, and 
Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya, belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. In our own languages, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others sneered and said, They are filled with new wine. Here's an interesting little note that the opposite of what happened at the Tower of Babel, remember the Tower of Babel where God confused the languages, people were coming together and said, we're going to build a tower and it'll go up to heaven. This is the opposite. God unconfused their language. All of these languages and God has each one of them understanding in their own language in order to create unity for this next movement. Who knows that God has his ways. So let's take a little bit of a side note here. Speaking in tongues, we're going to talk about just some of the basics around it. So there are two theories, two camps here called glossolalia and xenoglossia. And glossolalia is the speaking an unknown language. So that means that it's not a real language where xenoglossia is where someone speaks a language, but it is a language to someone else. So one is more of a heavenly language and one is an actual language, but the speaker may not know that language and the hearer may, which is what we have here in Acts 2. Now, there are five places in the New Testament where speaking in tongues is referred to explicitly. We have Mark 16, 17, which records the instructions of Christ to the apostles, including his description that they will speak with new tongues as a sign that would follow them that believe in him. We have Acts 2, which we're just talking about now, that every man heard them speak in his own language. We have Acts 10, 46, when the household of Cornelius spoke in tongues and those present compared it to the speaking in tongues that occurred at Pentecost. We have Acts 19.6 when a group of about a dozen men spoke in tongues in Ephesus as they received the Holy Spirit. Paul was laying hands on them. And then we have 1 Corinthians 12 and 13 and 14. And this is where Paul is talking about all the rules and of engagement around tongues and how to bring order into the churches and how the gift of speaking in tongues is to be used in public settings. Now, there's several different theories around speaking in tongues. There is something called cessationist and they believe a cessationist believes it was there for a time, but it's no longer necessary. It was there for the distributing of the gospel, the evangelism to the Gentiles, but it's not for today. There is another camp who believes it is the second baptism, much like John the Baptist had said, the great commission. It is the primary evidence of the Holy Spirit baptism. And then there's also this idea that it's a second infilling, but it's one of many expressions of the Holy Spirit. So think for a moment, and maybe you never learned anything about speaking in tongues. Maybe this is brand new. But which of these did you learn as a new believer? Which of these did your church practice? Which one feels the most comfortable to you? You know, it's kind of interesting. There's some science around speaking in tongues. The New York Times in 2006 published this article, and it was um, brain scans on people speaking in tongues, the, the frontal lobes where you control what you do, and the language centers were actually relatively quiet. 
kind of indicating that it wasn't something that you could make happen. The regions involving uh, the self-consciousness were active, indicating that while mindful that it was happening, there was a sense of not having control as this language went out of your head or out of your mouth. And contrary to what may be a common perception, studies suggested, they actually studied this, they thought maybe people who speak in tongues maybe have more mental problems, and this is their way of doing it, but that's not actually the case. They found that there was fewer people who had mental issues who spoke in tongues. Do with that what you will. But a study of nearly 1,000 evangelical Christians in England found that those who engaged in this practice were actually fairly emotionally stable, more so than people who didn't. I think it's interesting. I'm not going to put a lot of stock in, in a couple studies, but it is an interesting thing that there has been science done with this phenomenon. So we're going to go back to Acts 2. We're in verse 34. But Peter, who had publicly denied Jesus less than two months earlier, remember, is standing with the eleven. He raises his voice and he addresses them. Fellow Jews and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk as you suppose, for it is only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel, that in the last days it will be God declares that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will show portents in the heaven above, signs on the earth below, blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. And then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then Peter and all the other apostles probably spread out in the city and they went on to tell the story of Jesus. And that day, 3,000 Jewish listeners, people who had probably been there at the crucifixion, who had been crying out, crucify him, were stung in their heart, the Jewish Bible says, converted and were baptized under the name of Jesus. It's interesting that in other places we see that they were baptized in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, which is traditionally how we do it in the church. But this specifically says baptized under the name of Jesus, maybe because the Jewish people already accepted Father and the Holy Spirit, but they had not yet accepted the name of Jesus. Interesting, another, you know, there's just a lot of interesting things with numbers in Scripture. But at the giving of the law in Exodus 32, 3,000 souls broke the law and died. On this occasion in Acts 2, 3,000 souls obeyed the gospel and were saved. Isn't that kind of cool? Okay, moving on to verse 42. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Awe came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all people. 
It's a beautiful picture in, in verse 46 of what the church should be. Even verse 42, this, this formula, I guess. I don't even want to say it's a formula. It's this lifestyle of being together, of teaching and fellowship and breaking bread and praising God and having the goodwill of all people. I like the First Nations edition, the way that says this part, it says this, this newly formed family continued daily to learn from the 12 message bearers and they lived together in harmony, ate ceremonial meals and prayed with one another. Great respect and awe came down upon all and the message bearers performed many powerful signs. And as these new followers lived together in peace, their harmony grew stronger and they shared all things. Many of them had a giveaway to provide for all who were in need. And each day they gathered at the sacred lodge with good and pure hearts. They feasted together in their homes, shared the ceremonial meal of fry bread and wine given to them by creator sets free or Jesus. They gave honor and thanks to the great Holy Spirit and were respected by the people each day creator sent more people who were being set free to join with them isn't that a beautiful picture isn't that what we all desire that our we would live together in peace that our harmony would grow stronger that we would share all things that we would be set free and more people would be set free with us you see it's no coincidence that the day of Pentecost in Acts 2 opens with the pouring out of this Holy Spirit and then it ends with a call to sacrificial community. And this call continues throughout the rest of the New Testament. Here is where we can agree as far as how the Holy Spirit expresses himself. Remember those gifts from the Spirit in Isaiah 11 that we talked about last time? Wisdom and understanding and counsel and fortitude and knowledge and piety and fear of the Lord. These we can agree upon. That these are gifts from the Spirit for all of us. And you see, we cannot be in loving community, in harmony, in sharedness, in peace without the fruit of the Spirit. Left to our own devices, we're pretty bad at this thing. If we've learned nothing about ourselves in these last several years, let's, let's admit that this has not been a great look for us, even as Christians sometimes. But the fruit of the Spirit, and this is again, I'm going to go back to this First Nations um, version, because I think it's, it, it says it so beautifully. And this is in Galatians 5. We all know the things are weak, are broke. We all know the things are weak and broken human ways lead us to do things such as walking in impure ways, giving into dark desires, following after spirit images, participating in witchcraft, also hostile ways such as fighting and jealousy, lashing out in anger, arguing and making trouble and dividing into opposing groups. Our broken ways also lead us to want what belongs to others, to become drunks and to participate in wild parties. But what is spirit led? On the other hand, if we follow the guidance of the spirit, our lives will bear good spiritual fruit. The spirit will grow in us, the fruit of love and joy, peace and patience, kindness and goodness, faithful hearts, gentle ways and self-control. Since our life comes from the spirit, let us dance and step with the spirit and follow the spirit's guidance. And in this way, we will not become big headed troublemakers who are jealous of each other. Let me read that again. Since our life comes from the spirit. 
Let us dance in step with the Spirit and follow the Spirit's guidance. And in this way, we will not become big-headed troublemakers who are jealous of each other. How much hurt do we do out of jealousy? How many of us become big-headed troublemakers because we want something that someone else has? You see, our goal as Christ followers is to recapture this New Testament perspective of Christian life as essentially the life of the Spirit. We can dynamically experience it here on earth. It is also heaven-oriented, but fully integrated into the life of the church here on earth as in heaven. We are indwelt by the Spirit. If we put effort into knowing what that means through scripture, through prayer, through praise, through surrender, through dying to ourselves daily. We will see this beautifully integrated life of the church dancing in step with the spirit. Wherever the spirit leads, we follow his movements. God help us to be in step with this dance of the Holy Spirit in our lives so that we can be spirit-led rather than spirit-opposed, so that we can dance with the Spirit rather than dance with darkness. Now, this fully integrated life must extend beyond the room you're in right now, even beyond our homes and into our workplaces and our community if we are truly to partner with God's transformative work here on earth. So I want you to just... Take a few minutes and pray. As you imagine dancing in step with the Spirit at work, where would God call you to dance with Him at work in your community, beyond your home even? God help us to be in step with this dance of the Holy Spirit in our lives so that we can be Spirit-led rather than Spirit-opposed. Devoted to teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, prayers, having all things in common, common having, having the goodwill of all the people to your glory, not ours, so that day by day you can send more people who are being set free to join in this dance with us and collectively we can partner with you in order to bring about godly flourishing in this world that you have placed us in. How we desire that our community that you have placed us in would experience a saving and transformational recognition of your lordship through the transforming work of the Holy Spirit. To God be the glory.